Well, welcome to the Calvary Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Calvary Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. It's good to have you with us, uh, whether you are a long-time listener or a first-time listener. It's good to have you here uh, studying with us. We are going through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we're going basically chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as best we can. Although in the summertime, we did uh, take some time to look at the various parables that are scattered throughout the uh, the gospel. But so uh, we have now come to chapter 17. So if you want to grab your Bibles and go to Luke 17, that would be good. Um, we're going to once again come across a, a teaching that uh, some people have a problem with. Uh, they don't like what Jesus says. Uh, it kind of offends their sensibilities, which I, I think is very interesting because Really, this whole passage that we're going to be looking at in 17 is, a, is about offense and, and what we're supposed to be doing as, as God's people, as followers of Jesus, when, when people are offended. You know, people do get offended. Uh, they, they find a lot of things offensive, insulting to them. You know, and as you're talking about insults, I, I recall, and perhaps you've heard of the adversarial relationship that uh, uh, Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II, uh, the, the, that relationship that was very conflicted, there, there was a lot of um, problems between he and a, a lady named Lady Astor. And uh, there are stories about them trading jabs, trading insults. One time she said to him, um, reportedly, uh, she, she said, sir, if you were my husband, um, I would put poison in your drink. And he said, well, madam, if I was your husband, I would drink that poison. Uh, or one time <clears throat> at a dinner party, she said, Winston Churchill, you are drunk. And he says, well, that may be so, madam, but you are ugly, and tomorrow I'll be sober. And, and it's so funny because once we throw an insult at somebody, we always say, well, no offense, no offense. Like, well, that's the magic words to say, oh, you know, I was just kidding. Uh, no offense. P please don't get mad at what I've just said. And yet, uh, you know, people do get mad. They do get offended. But not just with insults, but things that uh, they perceive to be insults. You know, when I look back at my life, I get embarrassed how often I got offended at little things. It's like, when I, I love going to the movies, for example. I love movies. I, I, and I, I love going to the theater, not just renting the movies and bringing them home. I love going, I love the whole experience of getting the popcorn and finding the perfect seat and now, and I found when I was a younger man that I had this kind of like this DEFCON meter that was like, oh, tick, 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 tick. We're getting, we're going from DEFCON 4 all the way down to DEFCON 1 where there's going to be war. You know, like DEFCON 4, it's when somebody talks in the movie. It's like, okay, well, guys, come on. You, you could have waited to have this conversation afterwards. But then it goes to DEFCON 3 when they begin to actually talk to the movies, you know. Like they're responding back to what they just saw in, in the movies. And you're thinking, you know, they can't hear you. They can't interact with you. What are you doing talking to the movie? And that takes me down to DEFCON 2, where the kid in back of me is just kicking my seat. And you're going, dude, what's going on here? I, I'm sitting here. Do you not see me? I'm, I'm kind of tall. And then that actually brings me to my DEFCON 1 is... Why is that kid even sitting behind me? I mean, literally, we have so many seats around us that are empty. I hate when I go in and find the perfect seat, and then somebody comes and sits either right right directly in front of me or right directly in back of me 
or right directly beside me. And I get so offended by this. It's like, dude, this is, this is my time to go see the movie. What, what are you doing bothering me about this? I look back and I realize that every time I'm offended, somehow anger is involved. Like the elderly gentleman in one of my churches that I worked at when I was a young man. He was mentoring me when I was in my mid-20s. And his one vote, his one vote, I blamed his vote on a particular presidency. And I get so mad at him. My anger is involved when I'm offended. And and one thing that I have found uh, when I'm reading through the Bible is that uh, my not only does my anger not please God, but my anger really isn't even effective. You know, it sure isn't making me more like Jesus, I'll tell you that. And it typically does not settle anything, any issues at all. Now, in the book of James, chapter 1, we're told that everybody should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I, I would say that we could probably throw offense in that. That we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be offended, right? See, when we're talking about being offended, when we're talking about human anger at, at any offense, um, you know, we're talking about small offenses. We're talking about major betrayals. Uh, we're, we're talking about your anger at uh, somebody with a, an opposing political view. We're talking about your offense at the guy that gave you the middle finger in uh, the parking lot. Now, some people, <clears throat> they push back and they say, but Trey, you don't understand. My anger is a righteous anger because, well, you know, I'm angry over sin. Okay, that may be true. You might be angry over sin. And there is such a thing as righteous anger over the things that break the heart of God. Jesus got angry and he overturned the, uh, the tables in the temple. Um, what was going on was not uh, what God would have wanted. It would have broken the heart of God. And so Jesus had a righteous anger about that. But when we're not talking about Jesus, when we're talking about uh, us, you know, sinful humanity, at least in my experience, what I've noticed about righteous anger is that whenever we're angry about sin, it's always about somebody else's sin. We're never angry about our own sin, right? Have you ever noticed that? Anyways, here's a truth that we will discover today in our passage. Giving offense and taking offense does not really truly bring glory to God, nor does it produce in us that which will make us more like Jesus and more ready to see the fruit of God's Spirit uh, produced in our life. So we are in Luke 17 today, and I want to show you how Jesus addresses this issue of offense. Starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. Now that was the NIV. I, I want to read to you the same passage, uh, just the first three verses in the ESV. He said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourself. See, the first thing that Jesus wants us to do is to guard against giving offense to other people. Uh, for a better understanding, the, the, the word there uh, that uh, the ESV translates as temptations to sin, uh, and in the NIV uh, was uh, translated as uh, things that cause people to sin, in other vers versions, they're translated as stumbling blocks 
or things that cause people to trip and fall into sin, or things that cause people to stumble. Now, they provide those translations provide a really good word picture of how our interactions with people sometimes end up. Because when you get two people with two different kinds of personalities, two differing opinions, and they're trying to interact, a lot of times there will arise some kind of offense if we're not careful. You know, it's like um, the story about a bride who was crying. She'd called her mother up and she was just in tears. And uh, her mom says, well, honey, what's what's wrong? She goes, well, things were were perfect in our relationship until, until we got married. And and right after the honeymoon, which was a wonderful time, Mom, we came back home and things were perfect until he started using all these horrible four-letter words. And the mom's all, oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize he was that vulgar of, of a person. Uh, what, what kind of four-letter words? She said, you know, like dust and wash and iron and cook. Or, for example, the uh, the, the bride that says, I, I know I married Mr. Wright but I didn't know his first name was always. You see, bride and groom, they might uh, be perfectly deeply in love. And and yet once they start to live together, uh, things are going to get, there's going to be some conflict and there might become uh, an offense that is thrown from one to the next. So what does Jesus say here in Luke 17, one through three about guarding against giving offense to others? He says, you know what? The reality is in this fallen world, where you interact with other people, there's going to there's going to be an offense. Offenses will happen. Stumbling blocks will happen. Things that cause people to stumble will happen. Okay, people will be offended. But woe, which is a very strong word, it's it's a really kind of a, almost like a condemnation word. But woe to those through whom the problems come, Th- through whom the offense comes. You can say. See, Jesus is trying to make us understand that um, we need to make sure that we're not the one that causes the offense in our relationships. In fact, he says it would be better for you to have one of those huge millstones, this huge rock hung around your neck and then thrown into the sea, obviously drowning you and keeping you down under so that you cannot rescue yourself, than it would be to cause one of these, and he says, little ones to stumble. Now, some people wonder, is Jesus just talking about children here? No, He's actually talking about anyone who's coming to faith. And and, and oftentimes the, those little ones are the ones that are new in their faith. And they're trying to figure out uh, how to be a Christian, how to actually follow Jesus closely. And, and oftentimes they start to have these interactions with Christians. And, and there's a fence that the, uh, the long-term Christians are, are giving to these little ones in the faith. In, in essence, though, in, in reality, because Jesus has talked about this in, in other places as well, He's speaking of an interaction with other, other, any other believer, not just kids, not just even people who are new in the faith. See, it makes sense because Jesus has always cared about how we treat one another. But in order to follow his teaching, you know, we got to get rid of something in our life. Because each, one, each time that we are offended, it's because we have had our pride hurt. You see, Jesus, once again, is calling us into humility as we relate to one another. Because true humility will avoid offending other people. No, I have to have my way. It's got to be my way or the highway, and, and we offend. Um, I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. I'm going to do it this way. Pride. And they are offended. You know, see, that's different than what how the world operates. 
People in our culture, they don't care if they hurt your feelings. They don't care if they destroy relationships. They don't care if they trample on others. For them, it's all about them and, and what they want. Our world doesn't care if they offend anyone. They barrel through to get exactly what they want. The people who have bowed their hearts and given their lives and surrender to God in order to serve him, they need to recognize that we have a responsibility to spiritual integrity, to actually demonstrate a selfless love for other people, the same kind of love that Jesus showed us when he went to the cross. See, we have a call to let love cover a multitude of sins for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is that we are called to be his ambassadors who will reflect his character in this world uh, to, to show who he is to those who do not yet know who he truly is. So as we consider how we relate to other people, especially those who don't know Jesus yet, we must understand that the gospel, well, that's not just a doctrinal thing, okay? It's actually a practical thing. The gospel is not just some theological, theoretical ideas. The gospel is a practical thing. It's a, it's a thing that has been lived out where people can actually see us changed, not acting like sinful world anymore, but walking now in integrity, being different, not responding to each other the way that the self-centered people of the world do. And folks, that is humility, which is the opposite of pride. Humility is this practical uh, demonstration of surrendering our right, even to revenge, uh, or, or, or surrendering our right to be right in an argument. I, like, I've got to win this argument. To, to give that all up to Jesus, to allow him to be the Lord who takes precedent in our interactions. You know, God says in, in, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 66, verse 2, the second part of verse 2, God says, this is the one that I esteem. The one that I esteem is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, those who have decided to follow Jesus, those who have bowed to his will and to his ways, they are the ones that God then lifts on high and esteems. And according to the previous verse uh, there in Isaiah 66, verse 1, those people become the temple in which his spirit chooses to dwell because we're humble and contrite in spirit and we allow him to take over. So we must resist giving offense. We, we must guard against giving offense to other people in our relationship with them. But the second thing that Jesus teaches is for us to prepare ourselves to resist taking offense from others. Uh, let's continue on in Luke 17, the last part of verse 3 and then verse 4. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, then forgive him. Um, true humility stands ready uh, to forgive and then to forgive and then to forgive. And then, yeah, why not to forgive again? Why? Because of the gospel. You, you see, think about the gospel. What we teach as God loved the world in this way, that he would give his only begotten son to die so that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Or as Paul would say in Romans, this is how we know that love, what love is, that Christ died for us and we ought to give our lives for each other, right? 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is the gospel that you received, if, if you truly have accepted the gospel? That you were made right somehow by being good, or, or um, that you were perfect and so God allowed you in? No, of course not. <laughs> the gospel is the good news that uh, even when we were enemies, God loved us, and that we are forgiven or are offered forgiveness in Christ. But because of that forgiveness, Jesus calls us to a higher understanding of our relationship with other people who are also sinful and are in need of forgiveness. Jesus was pretty clear. It's hypocrisy to forgive or, or to receive forgiveness from him, but to withhold it from others. So we are called to be people who will forgive and to forgive and to forgive, to keep on forgiving why? Because that's the nature of who Jesus is for us. He keeps forgiving us. And, and taking offense shows that we have not forgiven. Forgiveness is hard. Believe me, I understand. I, I've been there. Forgiveness is hard. And a lot of times we allow defensiveness and retribution and revenge to kind of fill our hearts, right? That seems to be the default setting of our sinful nature. E even the Apostle Peter, he found this kind of forgiving almost impossible. In Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? It's, it's, it's almost like he says, there's got to be a limit to this. I can't keep forgiving him. He says, do I need to literally, do I need to forgive him up to seven times? Now, you probably know what Jesus answered. He said, mm, keep going. Way more than seven. Okay, eight, nine. 10, 30, 40, how about 70 times 7? How about 490? Which don't sit back and just count and think, okay, I'm, I'm on 485, so, you know, you're almost out of your forgivenesses, right? Keep going. And that's hard to do. It doesn't come easy to those who are born into a sinful nature, which is all of us, by the way. Uh, that's why Jesus calls us to be born again by the Spirit, to have our sins washed clean and to start anew, to, to get rid of our sinful nature that, uh, is, that destines us to destruction, but to actually live in an eternal life and an abundant life even before we pass from this life to the next. You see, the world would say, to err is human, to forgive divine. So to err, which means to sin, is human because that's who we are. To sin is, yeah, that's human nature. To forgive, well, that's divine. In, in other words, we say, well, we like to be forgiven by God. Um, the world, though, has relegated forgiveness to just a God thing sometimes, often. It's too hard for humans to demonstrate his character trait of forgiveness. Our pride stands in the way far too often. You could even say that pride is the enemy of forgiveness. Pride will keep you from forgiving. It will also, by the way, keep you from being forgiven. Oh yeah, Psalm 51, uh, verse 16. <clears throat> you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would have given it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, these are things that lead us to 
accept the forgiveness of God to, and to develop the willingness and the ability to forgive other people as we have been forgiven ourselves. Now, forgiveness does seem so impossible. It seems so impossible to get rid of the pride that just seems to be there all the time in our life. It's so hard to operate in true humility and be, being willing to let things go and be taken care of by the Lord in his time and in his way. So very impossible, right? And that's what the disciples thought too. In contemplating this gigantic mountain that forgiveness seemed like to them, they cry out to Jesus in verse 5 there in Luke 17, increase our faith. In other words, they're saying, help. This mountain is too big. This is an obstacle that we can't deal with. We need help in order to, to live like how you want us to live. You're calling us to live above our human nature, to live graciously, to forgive those who may wound us repeatedly. That's not in our human nature. So how can we do that? It seems impossible. Well, what does Jesus say in response? Look at verse 6 of chapter 17. Jesus replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now that's a bizarre thought. That's a bizarre thought. Mulberry trees. Let's talk about mulberry trees for a minute. Some of the rabbis used to say that the mulberry, mulberry tree had roots that would have survived for 600 years or more. So to uproot a mulberry tree would have been a significant achievement. But Jesus says it, your command. You can have it move across the sky and plant itself at the bottom of the sea. That would be spectacular. It would actually be supernatural to be able to do that. Ah, ha, 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 there it is. You, you see, they are willing to admit their weakness. This is too hard for us to do. <clears throat> okay, says Jesus. But if you have faith in God working through you, you could see the impossible happen. You could see it happen supernaturally. See, if, if you admit that you are weak in that area, but then you cling to the power of God, then you will see the impossible done through your work, through your life, through your interactions with other people. By the way, this is the reason that Jesus tells them this next mini parable. And this is the one that people get a little offended at uh, because they like, they're attaboys. They like to be thanked if they do something nice for somebody. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, um, uh, let me read it in ESV here, verses 7 through 10. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in, in from the field, oh, come at once and recline at the table? Won't he rather say to him, prepare supper for me? And dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Then does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, this is one of those strange parables that make modern thinkers bristle, because we think that it would be decent to to thank people, even our servants, our waiters, our waitresses, to thank them, even though they're only doing what we've asked them to do. So what is Jesus getting at? Well, Jesus has asked his followers to do something that they think, first of all, is extraordinary. But Jesus is saying, there's nothing about what I'm asking you to do that is more than just standard procedure. 
in my kingdom. I'm not asking you to do anything wildly um, extra, <laughs> more than anybody else is supposed to be doing in my kingdom. It's not like you get the attaboy because, well, look what you did. Wow, all by yourself. Man, you had such a, a wonderful character uh, that you came up with all on your own. No, you, you, you're not going to get that attaboy if you're just living by the standard of living in God's kingdom. See, it's not as if Jesus is saying we can't thank people, people for doing the right thing, right? That's not what he's saying. It's more about not relying on your own power to get it done so that you're going to be thanked or admired or whatever. In other words, once again, when you're doing what God wants you to do, when the servants are doing what their master wants them to do, that's standard procedure. It, it's not about them being able to live like this. It's about them doing what the master wants them to do. And even if they had faith the size of a mustard seed, they could do these things because they're allowing God to do it through them. It's about what God's Spirit is willing to do in and through them that will make the difference. See, the only way that this kind of gracious living can be standard practice is that when it's not on us, when it's not in our power, how can we let things go? When dealing with my sinful nature, the answer is I can't. I can't. I cannot let things go by my own power. And that's why the servant is not commended for doing something in his own power in this mini parable. What he has done has been done in accordance with the will of the master. He's just being obedient. There should be nothing crazy wild about living this way when you are living in faith and allowing God to do the work through you. See, when God calls you and I into a righteousness, for him, it's easy. For him, it's, you know, just open up yourself and I will do this for you. It's the power of the master that then compels us to live in obedience to the will of the master. So here Jesus is using the illustration of a mulberry tree. Elsewhere, he, he says something about a mountain that uh, is being picked up and thrown into the sea if you have the, the faith of a mustard seed. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I, I've never seen either one of those things happen. I've never seen a, a tree or a mountain get picked up and thrown into the sea physically. Uh, nor was it ever recorded as being something that really anyone did in the Bible or saw in the Bible. So <clears throat> could Jesus be talking about something as big as a mountain, as deep, uh, with roots as deep as a mulberry tree that gets a hold of our, ourselves, our hearts, in our life? Maybe he's referring to the mountain of our sin of our self-centeredness, the craggy peaks of our sinful old nature, the obstacle that is in my way that, that, that makes me not follow God fully, that, that keeps my faith very, very shallow. See, God designed me to display a certain kind of lifestyle, to, to reflect his glory, to reflect his righteousness. So maybe, just maybe, this mulberry tree that Jesus is talking about this tree with this deep, deep roots, that represents what is in my heart that, that is not pleasing to God, the, the sin that's uh, buried deeply in there. And it's only by faith in the power of God that I'm allowing God to yank it out by the root through his Holy Spirit and bury it into the very depths of the sea. 
man, what a picture of the gospel that can be. So they say, increase our faith. And Jesus invites them to see the potential that they already have that kind of faith. They just need to see it through the lens of the Holy Spirit. See, right before Jesus would go to the cross, he spent some time over supper with his followers. And he told them it was for their good that he was going to go away. Uh, because the Heavenly Father, he said, was, was going to send them then a helper, one that would come alongside of them and help them as they continue in their faith. And because of this helper, who we know as the Holy Spirit, by the way, Jesus said that the things that they saw him do, well, they would do as well, and that they would do even greater things than those. Why? Because it's not like they're just going to have Jesus beside them anymore. They're going to have his spirit there inside of them. They would, the helper would be in them. He'd be propelling them. He would be steering them. He would be correcting them. He would be encouraging them. He would be giving them purpose. He would be recreating them to reflect the, the person, the image, the character of Jesus, which was God's original purpose for mankind. So when we go back to the passage in Luke, Jesus is encouraging his disciples that say, please, God, increase our faith. He says, listen, even the amount of faith that you have, the, the, the amount of faith that you've demonstrated so far, even that small of faith can do unimaginable things when you realize it's not about you. And you're just unworthy servants, right? You're only doing what God is doing in you. You're only being obedient to his spirit at work in you. See, so you, you don't think you can do the hard stuff that God has commanded? You don't think that you can overlook offenses? You don't think that you can keep from offending other people? Well, that might be true if we're talking about your old nature, your old sinful nature. But, and again, this is what Jesus is saying, if you continue to trust me, says Jesus, then my power through you will be able to overlook offenses. My power through you will be able to keep you from offending other people. As long as you are relying in faith, even the faith the size of a mustard seed, you're going to be allowing God to work in and through you. Now, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after his death, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to his followers, just like he had promised there before his death. And after they received the Spirit, they began to see through fresh eyes what it means to do these great things that Jesus said that they would do. They became living illustrations of God's grace and forgiveness. And they allowed God to do some pretty incredible things to further his kingdom through them. Folks, God still is in the business of working through his people. His people that are committed to living the way he wants them to live. And even small faith, like the faith of the size of a mustard seed. If we are allowing God to move in us and through us then we can begin to see some victories in our life where we do not give offense in our relationship with other people. And we don't take offense, allowing God's spirit to help us forgive each other. You know, this is not just a New Testament idea. King Solomon from the Old Testament, the wisest man who ever lived, he wrote in Proverbs, uh, he says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And he also said, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent will ignore an insult. In other words, being offended is a choice that we make. And, and it's a glorious choice. It, it, it makes us better. 
It, it makes us uh, feel better. It makes us look better. It makes us better. We can make that choice. Why do I know that? Because the Bible has instructed us to rise above offense. But because of our sinful nature, the choice must be a supernatural choice where we don't do it on our own, but we allow God to teach us how to go humble on the other kind, right? Letting God guide our actions and our words and our attitudes. We live in a fallen world. And as Jesus mentions here in Luke 17, we won't be able to stop the inconsiderate, rude, offensive acts of other people. There will be offense. He says that there will be. But we don't have to come at those who offend in the same way. So this week, why don't you um, be in prayer? Why don't you be in, in very focused prayer? This is kind of a homework assignment, I guess. Pray that God will help you overlook whatever offense comes your way this week, whether it be out on the the, the road, whether it be at your house, uh, with you and your family, around the dinner table, whether it be uh, with a uh, relative that uh, uh, calls you up on the phone and has something to say to you, whether it be at work. Pray that God's going to give you the strength to overlook the offense, the, the, the grace to overlook the offense, to ignore the insult, and to return blessing uh, for curses. Through faith in his power, I believe <clears throat> that we can sharpen our focus, and then we'll begin to see that victory is within our grasp. We can begin to see those victories happen here and there as we become more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's, in the power of God this week, try not to offend people. And then let us be able to overlook the offenses that come our way. And in doing so, we're going to live out the gospel in a way that maybe we haven't for a long, long time. Well, that's about it for this week. Um, glad you are joining us and, and listening in. If you ever are in the Central Oregon area on a weekend, we'd love to have you swing by and see us. Tell us that you've been listening. Uh, we meet on 8.30 and 10.30 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning. And, uh, of course, um, you can always go to our YouTube channel, Powell Butte Christian Church, and uh, watch us online as well. Anyways, uh, thank you uh, to uh, my executive producer, Lisa Welly, and uh, Steve Pittman, our uh, technical guy who has made sure that we have all of the technical stuff to, to even do podcasts. And uh, thank you for your time and your uh heart open up and listen to this study in the gospel of luke and we will see you next time have a blessed week